Today's scripture reading, it's from Colossians 4, 7 through 9. In our Red Pew Bibles, this is page 985. Tychicus will tell you all about my activities. He is a beloved brother and faithful minister and fellow servant in the Lord. I have sent him to you for this very purpose, that you may know how we are and that he may encourage your hearts. And with him, Onesimus, our faithful and beloved brother, who is one of you. They will tell you of everything that has taken place here. This is the word of the Lord. Good morning. The air is 142 today, so it's a good thing. Uh, I guess Thursday, I've been monitoring this because my wife has pretty bad asthma and four kids, so... Thursday was, what, 2.53, purple. Been looking at it like every day. Um, but I've been talking to some churches up in uh, the Chico area as well as some friends and um, many people displaced um, asking how we can practically help. Um, and like the, when the Santa Rosa fire had occurred, uh, right now is more of a time of just trying to even figure that out. Um, a lot of folks living in shelters now and with the weather uh, coming that's pretty chilly, uh, trying to figure out where to house all these people. Um, so uh, please be in prayer. They're just asking for wisdom. The church is stepping up a lot um, in that area. I've talked to many of them and a lot of them serving sacrificially, even though going through many, many difficult times themselves, um, some of them losing uh, a lot. Um, so uh, our prayers are definitely with them. And as soon as we hear of something or if you have a particular family member or you came from a church up there, please let us know. We'd, we'd love to partner with them. As of now, we're, we're trying to figure that out as to who uh, we're going to partner with in that, in that sense to help out with things there. As we have, the church historically has, when Puerto Rico faced its problems and when Santa Rosa faced its problems, um, we were there to be ready to help out with them and, and send them some financial support. Um, Let's pray, and then we're, we're going to jump into this section of Scripture. God, we lift up those who have lost so much, and we ask, God, for your mercy, your grace to overflow upon them. We pray, God, for you to strengthen your church, to step up in a big way to help those in need and uh, we ask, God, that you would um, also uh, help us to figure that out as well, that we, we desire, God, to uh, help those who have burdens to carry them. In Jesus' name, amen. Um, we are approaching the end of Paul's letter here in Colossians, and, and we'll be wrapping up this series in early January, and it's not because we're going to take like one verse a week. Um, it's because we're going to be going into Advent season, and so we'll be taking a break in a couple of weeks here. But this last section is actually really, really fascinating. It, it's actually pretty easy to just kind of skim over this, this last part because it's just a bunch of people mentioned. And so a lot of times um, you'll kind of go to a study and just kind of like fly through this part. But I, I'd like us to kind of pause, take a closer look at these people because uh, I wonder why people don't name their sons Tychicus. Like I just... Like, you know. Um, so we're going to take a, uh, a closer look at 
these people. There's, there's quite a few of them here, and, and we're just going to take a look at two of them uh, to this morning. Now, just as a quick review, looking back at Paul's letter, if we look back to chapters 1 and 2, Paul was laying down the groundwork for basic Christian doctrine. And so in those first two chapters, he's doing that, and, and he was preaching, teaching about basic Christian doctrine. Then we reach chapter 3, and the first part of chapter 4, we read about Paul, Paul's writings about the, the moral and ethical implications of the Christian faith. Um, and then we head into this part here, chapters 1 and 2, laying out basic Christian doctrine. Then he writes practically about how to apply that basic Christian doctrine into chapter 3 and first part of 4. And then this latter part of 4, starting here in verse 7, he starts writing these personal praises about these people. And it's the last portion of this letter that Paul is actually showing more of his heart and his personal relationships. Because prior to that, many people would probably think, oh, Paul's just this arrogant guy who uh, is off on his own and does all these things. And you can make a lot of assumptions if you didn't realize kind of these personal relationships that Paul was writing about, because so often he's, he's writing doctrinal things. But we'll find that these friends that he's recording for us at this latter part of chapter 4 are essential to his ministry. They're absolutely necessary. That their fellowship was crucial to what Paul was able to do. And without them, Paul wouldn't be able to do what he did. Paul gets a ton of credit as a leader of the early Christian church. But we have to realize he couldn't have done this alone. There's, there's no way he could have done this alone. He wasn't someone who just wrote a bunch of the New Testament without the help of others. He's not some detached theologian who was distant from everyone. And, and this last section of this letter shows us more of who Paul was. That he had a deep love for his friends. These friends who were indispensable, so important, encouraging, supportive, helpful. He made it possible for the church to flourish and for us to be here today. Because Paul didn't move the church single-handedly. There's no way. No one can do something that is that big. And Paul needed these people, and God designs our lives in this way, in that we need each other to do bigger things. Even for the simple reason that we don't live forever. We, we all die. And if we are wanting something bigger than ourselves to outlive us, we need to equip the next generation. We need to equip the next leaders. We need others to do what we've been doing, and we need to reproduce ourselves because we won't always be around. And it was critical for Paul to pass the baton to the next leaders of the church. See, we can't afford to hold too tightly to what we have that can be of help to the next generation. We have to equip them. We have to have them inherit some sort of legacy, not just kind of the legacy itself, but whatever we have for them to, to carry that on. And the church has continued to thrive for over 2,000 years because it has empowered the next generation to faithfully continue serve God through the Spirit. And when the church ceases to regenerate, I just had to plug that in there. <laughs> It'll die, right? It'll die. The, the baton has to be passed because we can't run forever. We, we need to reproduce. We need to 
give it to the next strong runner, otherwise we become extinct. Now what's happening here with Paul and these individuals is, is what needs to happen for our church, regeneration, and for the church. And if not, the church will die. And we've probably all seen that around us here in the Bay Area where another church shuts its doors. It happens quite often here, unfortunately. And so let's take a look at a couple of people Paul pointed out here, namely Tychicus and Onesimus. I haven't met a baby named Onesimus either, but um, I've met a child named Onesimus in Africa and Kenya, but um, not, not, not Tychicus. So if you named your kid Tychicus, you'd be the first. So these two leaders, who Paul will be passing the baton onto, and we're going to focus a little bit more on Tychicus, mostly because we've looked at Onesimus before when we went through our sermon series in Philemon. So if you're interested in hearing more about Onesimus, you can just go into our Philemon study and, and listen to that. We will talk about Onesimus towards the, the end of the sermon, though, but... Verse 7, Tychicus will tell you all about my activities. He is a beloved brother and a faithful minister and a fellow servant in the Lord. Tychicus will tell you all about my activities. Now going back to verse 2, Paul's activities must have included continuing steadfastly in prayer, which Pastor Nate taught about, and, and being watchful with thanksgiving, seeking the will of God, seeking for God to open the door for the word to declare the mystery of God. So seeking discernment, wisdom, making the best use of his time, that Paul was tactful in his speech, verse 6, Tychicus must have had all of these things as he was hanging out with Paul and learning from Paul. Tychicus is a beloved brother and a faithful minister. Paul invested into these guys. He, he spent time with them. He taught them. He helped them know what their spiritual gifts were. He equipped them and empowered them to continue in the ministry. Not, not just what they can do, but more importantly, who they are. And you notice that their character is highlighted here. Faithfulness. It's not their ability. It's not their gifting that's highlighted. Paul didn't say, like, he is a gifted teacher. He's, he's incredibly in, he's durable. Like he's, he has incredible endurance. He doesn't do that. He talks about their faithfulness. He talks about character issues. And so people are set aside not because of a lack of ability, but because of a lack of character. And Paul didn't commend their gifts. He commended their character. Now, this is something about God. God is much more concerned about who we are, much more, than what we do. Who we are guides what we do. We've all met people who are very, very gifted. And they've been set aside for the purposes of God because their character has disqualified them. Now, we see this in the church, unfortunately, but we also see this in corporations. We see this in sports, Hollywood, politics, whatever it may be. With the, this entire Me Too movement, we see that people are extremely gifted, but they're disqualified because of a lack of character. Who do we look to when looking at leaders, people with influence, people who impact lives, and oftentimes, people overlook character, and they focus more on ability and giftedness, but that's not what the Bible teaches. Isaiah 66, verse 2. All these things my hand has made, and so all these things came to be, declares the Lord. But this is the one to whom I will look, he who is humble 
and contrite in spirit and trembles at my word. The people we look to to serve are to be humble, contrite in spirit, and tremble at God's word. Many of us know a lot of people who are very talented, very gifted, but no longer serving the Lord because they are lack of character. We know many people who are great leaders and great at what they do, but how many of them can we say are humble, contrite in spirit, and tremble at the Lord's word? Looking again at Colossians chapter 4, verse 7, you notice that Tychicus is a beloved brother. He's dear to Paul. Tychicus touches Paul's heart. Uh, kind, of, kind of like how Pastor Nate touches my heart. You know, he's just beloved to me. We hung out in Chicago a couple of weeks ago. He doesn't snore, thank God. Um, we were at this community development conference, and the more I get to know him, the more I love him. Um, Billy, Billy is a beloved brother. Our families go way back, and um, we, we've been to Tahoe together, and the more I get to know his heart for people, the more, the more I grow to love him. These are very, very dear people to me. I don't know what they'd say about me, I love them. But what is being said about us? What's being said about the people we're investing into to carry on ministry, to carry on serving God? Are we loved? Do we love those who are carrying on for us? You know the worst thing that you can say about someone? They're nice. Isn't that's a terrible thing. Because what does that even mean? You know, when, when you introduce somebody and all you can say is they're nice, all that is really saying is you don't know that person really well. Because you would never describe that about your spouse. What's your husband like? Oh, he's nice. That, we, you'd have to, we'd have to talk some counseling. Like, we'd have to, because you'd only use that on someone you don't know very well. You wouldn't describe your children that way, or your parents, or someone really close to you. It, it, it's a very distant word. So what are people saying about you? Or what do people even think about God? Because don't you hear about that? Like, God's not nice. And if you're saying that, that means you don't know him. You would only say that if you don't know him. But if you knew him, you'd say he's merciful, he's patient, he's long-suffering. You'd have all these different words, but you wouldn't say that. And so you, you can tell about someone's love connection based on how they describe the other person. So are you loved, and who do you love? Tychicus was a beloved brother. Paul described him as a faithful minister, so in other words, a faithful servant. The, the faithfulness was speaking of his service. We have many people here who are beloved, and they are faithful ministers. We, we couldn't be here as a church without so many of you, and we're looking to grow this church community with, with more beloved brothers and sisters who are faithful servants of God to each other, to our communities. Um, just this morning, uh, you know, Pastor Nate, he called in sick. He, he wasn't feeling well, but we have people to plug in. And Grace, our children's director, was just telling me, you know, I had five people cancel this morning, teachers. 
and they all told me that it was smoke related, that it was pollution related, and then we had the subs come in. And we, we couldn't run this church without all of you, and so thank you so much. And this faithfulness doesn't come from a title or a position. This was a character trait that was coming from the heart. Tychicus's heart had a posture of faithfulness. He was a faithful person who would carry out a task no matter how small or large. He was the person whom you could depend on because he had a servant's heart. You'd, you didn't need to worry about what would happen with what was assigned to him because he was faithful to carry it through. And anyone who has led a team of volunteers knows how important this is, don't we? Faithful service is such an important character trait in our context. Now, according to verse 7, Tychicus, the beloved brother, a faithful minister, and lastly, a fellow servant in the Lord, a servant of God, dedicated himself to serving God. All three of the, these descriptions here, beloved brother, faithful minister, and fellow servant, are all qualified by this phrase at the end of that verse, in the Lord. Tychicus Beloved brother in the Lord, faithful minister in the Lord, fellow servant in the Lord. In the Lord was the most important piece of those descriptions because what are we up against is mostly spiritual. We are fighting a spiritual battle. Our work is a spiritual work. Ephesians chapter 6, verse 12. For we do not wrestle against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the cosmic powers over this present darkness, against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly places. We can be beloved, faithful, fellow servants, but if it's not in the Lord, it is too easy for us to forget that we battle against something much greater than the physical, than the sociological, than the political, than the economical. It is spiritual. It's much darker what we're coming up against. And I think this is something that is dangerous, that if we ignore that we're fighting against injustice and unrighteousness, and we are just fighting it on a political front, or a physical front, or a sociological front, is it any surprise that we continue to fail? In the Lord, how we need Jesus, not to be so self-reliant on our abilities and, and on our giftings, that, that we need God, that we need each other. In verse 7, Paul also wrote, Tychicus will tell you all about my activities. And in verse 8, it reads, I have sent him to you for this purpose, that you may know how we are and that he may encourage your hearts. And then at the end of verse 9, they will tell you of everything that has taken place here. I bring up these three verses here because it's clear that Paul didn't write every single thing that happened that the church in Colossae needed to hear about. He didn't write it all down in four chapters. He wrote this letter, and then he left a lot of the details, a lot of the stories for Tychicus and Onesimus to kind of fill in the rest, to share that in person. And the Colossian church had a lot of questions to ask. They're worried about their dear friend Paul, who's been in prison, who's not feeling well, and he's... he's he has Dr. Luke looking after him. And, and Paul's letter wasn't going to address every single question that they had. So Paul needed to send a representative who would represent him well, who would represent him accurately. And he sends Tychicus and Onesimus to be those representatives. Guys who would have had to field a ton of questions and then after reading the letter, answering even more questions. 
And so Tychicus was charged to report all that was happening with Paul, meaning he knew him really well. Tychicus knew him really well. He was really close to Paul. And a great amount of vulnerability was was shared amongst the two of them, that, that amount of investment of time together. And that's why Paul sent him. Paul knew that he could trust him to relay not just information, not just facts about what was happening, but that he could relay his heart. This is so important. He knew that he could depend on him not just to relay facts, but who could relay his heart. Not just what is happening, but why things are happening the way that they are. And Paul needed to send someone who understood the vision of the church, the vision of himself, someone who understood the heart behind the letter and who could field all of these questions of doubt and uncertainty and pessimism and cynicism. Verse 8, that you may know how we are and that he may encourage your hearts. Hopefully we're not just people who pass down facts and information. We need to pass along why. The heart. Are we people who are entrusted to continue with the gospel work? Not just what happened that Jesus died for our sins, but but why? How much is our heart into God's work in telling the story of why? And who's being trained up to be released into service? People who can Share information and facts. I mean, anybody can be trained to do that. It's more than just information. We need to share the story of God's love, why he did what he did. And for any of us who are serving, who can we bring along with us? Not just to dispense facts to them, to pass along information, but also the heart behind why we serve God, why we follow God. Aren't we all here because someone invested into us and it wasn't just some information download that here it is and then you just kind of clicked. I mean, maybe for you engineer types it works that way. But for the most of the world, it's not like that, right? There was some sort of heart connection. And many times investments are risky when we're taking chances. So, So we have this little phrase we have here um, that we kind of share in Regen community, which is happening right after church here. Um, the second service. When we talk about training people up for ministry, we have this little phrase is, I do, you watch, we do, you do, and I watch. So it's just kind of like this kind of movement that, that that's, that's the what and how we do things, but then that's not why we do. Why did Paul send Tychicus? It's not just to know how Paul and and the gang were doing, but also to encourage their hearts. This is why, that the heart is so important that it just can't be brain, knowledge, information things, that that it, it has to touch the heart. Tychicus was an encourager who Paul trusted to send as his messenger, and we see Paul mentioned Tychicus in Acts, in Ephesians, 2 Timothy, and in Titus, as a trusted representative of himself. Do we have trusted representatives? We have been entrusted with the gospel by God, which is a crazy thing. Like He just entrusts us with it. Now, are we 
representing him well? Do we have people who will accurately represent you? Because that's what parents are essentially helping their children do, yes? When you teach them kind of like, don't chew with your mouth open, you know, like whatever. You're passing along, and they're good representatives of you, hopefully. And so we're hoping that we will encourage others to serve God like you are serving God. Verse 9, And with him, Onesimus, our faithful and beloved brother who is one of you, they will tell you of everything that has taken place here. So Paul has this harmonious relationship with these guys, actually with everyone he encounters, because even with prison guards when he's a prisoner, right? But now let's jump over to Onesimus. Uh, again, you can find out more about him in Philemon. Uh, if you look at Philemon, in verse 16, it tells us that he was a bondservant, and he was a runaway bondservant, so he didn't fulfill this contractual obligation to his employer. He abandoned his responsibilities, and, and he finds himself with Paul, and, and then Paul disciples him, and then Paul sends Onesimus back to Philemon, but this time not as a bondservant. He tells him that he's a brother of yours in Jesus Christ. So Philemon, looking at verses 15 and 16, for this is perhaps, it, for this perhaps is why he was parted from you for a while, that you might have him back forever, no longer as a bondservant, but more than a bondservant, as a beloved brother, especially to me. But how much more to you? both in the flesh and in the Lord. So Paul sends Onesimus back to Philemon as a brother. And look at how Paul viewed Onesimus. Back to verses 10 and 11 of Philemon. I appeal to you for my child. So Onesimus has become a Christian. Onesimus, whose father I became in my imprisonment, formerly he was useless to you, but now he is indeed useful to you and to me. And you look at verse 9 of Colossians chapter 4. Onesimus, our faithful and beloved brother who is one of you. Onesimus has become a fellow believer of Jesus Christ. Meaning, before he was a bondservant and Philemon was his boss. But now in the church, they're equals. It's beautiful how God gives dignity. And we covered this in that relationship between husbands and wives, between parents and children, between masters and bondservants, how, how God provides equity for everyone and gives dignity to everyone. And now he's known as this faithful and beloved brother, that we're all equals here, that there isn't one person who's greater than the other here. Now back to Philemon, verses 12, 13. We see that he's this... Former bondservant deserted his job, so dishonest, and that he's not keeping his contractual obligation. Hangs out with Paul, learns from Paul what a Christian is. He's matured in the faith, becomes this new person. He's transformed into a follower of Jesus, being discipled by Paul, and he has now reached this part of being a faithful and beloved brother who was a great help of Paul. So he goes from this untrustworthy servant of Philemon to now this trustworthy servant of the gospel of Jesus Christ. Part of why we have Regen Community classes here is to help in, in this sort of process. That we have met people who are in this kind of sanctification, transformation stage, and it's, it's this opportunity for us to begin investing into your life, to, to start taking steps into talking about what the church is and what your spiritual gifts are and how you can exercising, exercise them, talking a little bit about your personality and how we can partner with each other in serving God. 
And so here we have Onesimus who was entrusted with a lot of responsibility on this side. And we see how gracious God is, is that God is not just a God of second chances, but he's a God of multiple chances. An untrustworthy, runaway bondservant to now a leader in the church. It's amazing. And we see that no one can serve God by themselves, not even Paul. No one is that great. And yes, we serve God individually, but we can't accomplish these great things on our own. So who are your ministry partners, the people that you can count on, who we are passing the baton of ministry to? And this is partly, um, I, I wanted to give you guys an update on purchasing this church campus. Um, we haven't reached a definitive yes or a definitive no about buying this property. We haven't heard that from God. And so if you do hear it, please tell me. Like I, I, I'd, really, I'd really like to hear it. Um, that would be really, really wonderful. But we continue to walk in faith. God has provided financially. Um, it will be a stretch uh, because uh, we're buying it essentially at a market price. And so some of you are mentioning why now, um, why, why are you guys doing this now? Why didn't, why didn't we do it before? Why didn't we do it uh, later? We had opportunities to purchase the property before our church leadership decided we would invest it into church staff. And because of that, we've really grown. Um, many ministries have really taken off because we've hired more ministry staff. And the reason why it's now for any of you who don't know, is that the owners of the building, it's a denomination, it's a Baptist denomination who has decided they're selling the property. And so uh, they let us know about this about three or four weeks ago. And what they told us is, hey, we're putting the market, putting the property on the market next week. And so we said, um, can we have exclusive talks just to chat about this? And so we've looked at a lot of opportunities of movie theaters and schools and other churches and all these other things that we've been contemplating before us. We've been actually working with a realtor for over a year who's been looking at all these options and in consultation with him as well as the elder board decided like this was probably our best option out of everything that we've been looking at. So that's where we're at with that. Um, we have looked at many other options. And part of all of this process is a heavy weight on me personally because it's not that I'm signing the mortgage personally because things happen. I can die, right? So it's part of this is handing the baton to this next generation. Part of this is just not knowing even if any of us are gonna be here in the span of this mortgage of 20, 25 years because career moves or family things or calling or death, there are so many reasons that we can move on from here. But we will invest into carrying on the work that has been happening from this very spot for a century. Because if you think about it, the Swedish Baptists came here as immigrants. They first landed over in San Francisco. They decided to venture over to the East Bay. They brought this, or they bought this pipe organ from San Francisco. It was the biggest pipe organ west of the Mississippi when they got it. 
and they brought it over here. And then it became the Lakeside Baptist Church, who had a long history of serving immigrants and refugees in this part of Oakland. At one time, they had seven refugee churches here. Vietnam, Mien, Hmong, Cambodian. They had a Latino church. They had a Chinese church, and then the English congregation. All here, meeting here. And then comes us. Continuing on a legacy of serving immigrants and refugees, continuing on a legacy of being at this part of Oakland and occupying this space, which has grown to have a lot of homeless people and we've been reaching out to them in a really, really great way. And so this denomination is selling this property that has been used for the gospel mission for almost a century. I think the baton is being passed on to us. And God is using us. We are a church that is humble, that is contrite in spirit, that trembles at his word. A humble church that is concerned with who we are, not just what we do. A church full of beloved siblings in the Lord, faithful ministers in the Lord, and fellow servants in the Lord. A church that desires to tell the story of God's love, not just passing on information, but the heart of God. And we desire to pass on a legacy of the gospel mission onto the next generation, whoever that is after us. And now, does that include this property? I have no idea. I don't know. Just continuing to humbly ask God, knowing that we're in these decisions together, that it's not just a one-person or a few-person show, that we all need each other, that the Tychicuses and Onesimuses are out there, otherwise we wouldn't be here. And so we ask for your prayers as we pray for each other, as we pray for the decisions of our church, there are many things that are happening. And I'm just excited to know what God's going to be doing. Um, one of those pretty exciting things is, uh, you know, we, we had the plans for a women's shelter across the street. Um, I think we're going to have to put those on the shelf for a little bit because uh, the mortgage is going to be a lot more expensive than what we pay in rent. And we're going to have to look for different revenue streams to kind of supply for the church. And so one of these crazy ideas, I know that there are five church planters in Oakland right now that I know of. And I was thinking of like this incubation thing of a church planters kind of network thing and renting all those offices to them. And all of us can be together and support and encourage one another to where we can help them get started by not charging them this exorbitant rent because a lot of these churches are paying four to 8000 a month for offices. And we can do it for less, and yet they would help the church in turn. And doing that for a time being, because I do feel a women's shelters in our future, but probably just not in our near future. And so all these kind of cool ideas are kind of percolating up because of new opportunities. And so please be in prayer. We covet your prayers. Um, to close, I want to invite Addie up to share her testimony of just how important it is that we need each other and that community is so important for us. Hi, Regen. My name is Addie, and I moved to Oakland from Toronto almost a year ago. 
When I decided to move from Toronto, many of my friends thought I was crazy. Why subject myself to Trump and expensive healthcare? <laughs> I felt God's call to make a change for my stagnant life. I was not growing in my career, spiritual life, or emotional development. So I took a leap of faith and sold my place and quit my job. And after a few months of traveling, I found a job here within a month of searching, getting a job offer within a week of flying here for interviews, and finding my first apartment within three days of landing here. So praise God for the smooth transition. My first day at Regen, I got plugged into the community almost right away when uh, the woman sitting beside me was brave and chatted me up during the meet and greet time and then invited me out to her home group, even offering to pick me up and drive me there since I don't have a car. And then a story for another time, I ended up being the one to drive there. But we made it and I felt at home immediately. I'm not a big talker in group situations, but my home group members made me feel um, at home and comfortable, and they also took the time to ask me about my life one-on-one -on -one after the meeting or throughout the week. When I moved in August, I emailed my home group and asked for help. I was hoping to get maybe three people, and seven people came out. It was totally God's provision since I had a couple hiccups and the original moving plan could not be executed, so I needed more hands than I thought. Through home group, I've grown by learning from those people around me coming from different backgrounds and perspectives. To hear God's work working in each person's life and how he shows up in all situations is a constant reminder that God is communicating to us not only through his word, but also through the people around us. His messages and guidance can come from our community. Since coming to Regen, I have found a community willing to break bread and pray and serve together to invest in each other. Every Sunday after second service, if you don't have lunch plans, you can always find them. Just talk to Reuben. Every Tuesday night, a group gathers in the gym for free circuit training to keep God's temple holy and fellowship and check in with people we don't see every week on Sunday. Every Thursday night, a group gathers for prayer and worship in the chapel. We have been privileged to witness God's movement in our lives from miraculous healings to found loved ones after they were lost to relationship milestones like engagements. Every other Saturday, a group meets in the kitchen to make sandwiches and then heads out to the homeless encampments in Oakland to meet with the residents there. A simple sandwich and a handshake extends our community to include those who cannot make it into church for various reasons. Now Ruben and I co-lead a home group called Communitas, where we seek to create a space for people to get plugged in, to invest into a community, and to be invested into. I felt the call to lead a home group because I can see the need in Regen. Members are hungering for a deeper connection and to grow in their relationship with Jesus. Home groups and informal discipleship groups meet all over the Bay Area throughout the week. So I would encourage you to ask the people around you or email a home group leader or Pastor Nate to get connected to one.
Thanks.